marvel to see our dreams so realized. But all these bright lights run together after a while, and our blaze of glory turns ordinary overnight. Our blaze of glory turns My name is Pastor Todd, and I want to welcome all of our locations and everybody listening and watching online. I'm so excited to be able to speak today as we are continuing in our series called Wonder Life. And so if you wondered, like, what is this series about? Maybe you've missed the first couple weeks. I'll sum it up for you real quick. We're answering these two questions. Here they are. Identity, where we're wrestling with who am I, and calling, wrestling with why am I here? And so if you have not gotten the book, here's the deal. Please go get the book because here's what I've noticed. I'm part of a group. We were talking about this on Thursday, and we were blown away by just the conversations that we were having. Uh, just being able to wrestle with these two questions because I think they're big questions that all of us are wondering, uh, especially the, the who am I if you missed the last two weeks Pastor David really hit at those, and it was awesome to kind of see what he was pulling out of that and what God was teaching in us, teaching us about that. Now, today, I'm going to be wrestling with why am I here, dealing with the calling piece. Now, when I say calling, I don't know for some of you. So I grew up in church my whole life. Whenever the calling conversation came up, it always got a little interesting to me. Because it sounded like so much, it was just this job description, that everybody had this job description, that everybody had this calling from God that was supposed to be specific, and it made sense. And so I was like, I don't get it. Because I'm sitting here going, okay, um, I like baseball growing up. I was like, is that a calling? Because I want to go be a professional baseball player. And then I got into music. I was like, all right, God, is it supposed to be like rock star? Like, that sounds pretty cool too. Is like that supposed to be it? And then I felt this moment with God and he goes, you're supposed to be in ministry. And I was like, okay, I'll walk that out. Didn't know what that was. I was like, that seems such a weak calling. When I, now I remind you, that sounded like college age. I was like, man, that seems so weak compared to the other two. They sounded so much better. Um, and, and so... I'm sitting here just kind of processing, like, calling just to me gets so messy. I, I was talking about with one of the guys in my groups where I, I was talking about just, like, I remember feeling that. And he was just stood there and was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I even connect with that. Like, I just have had these passions and these dreams and chased it after them. And I felt like that's what God was telling me to do. And I think most of us, if we're honest... Calling is a little confusing. And so I hope by the end of the day that it starts to make a little bit more sense. But here's the first part we got to start with. All of us have a calling. All of us have it. And so, because let me simplify it. The calling is answering the question, why am I here? 
And so take, let's just for a moment, take the God part out of this. Growing up, remember as a kid, those moments where you were just passionate about something you loved, you had these dreams of either being an astronaut, being a firefighter, being a police officer, being a nurse, whatever the case may be. And so you begin walking those out or you begin walking the reason why I am here is for this. And so we all had them growing up. All had them even probably now in life where we're going, I do this because of my family. I am here because of this. I am here because of my job. I am here. The why question, why I am here, most of us probably have an answer to. Now, I'll be honest, there are probably some of us who are struggling with that. You're like, I thought I knew it. Now I don't. But all of us have a calling. It's just a matter of figuring out what it is. And so now let's bring the God part back. And I would say this, our calling begins with God. Because I have seen so many people walk out a why. Whether the why was, you know what, I want to go achieve this. I want to go have this family. Or I want to do this. And they get it. But then it seems to not satisfy that. It seems like, well, is, is that it? Is that and now is my life complete? Is it done? Because I've reached the why that I had. And to me, that's where the danger starts to become is like, I've reached the why for my life. I've been successful. I've done these things, but it still is not completing me. And I go, our calling has to begin with God because then it begins to change. The why we are here has nothing to do with a job description, has nothing to do with what we actually accomplish has everything to do with just beginning with God because God, here's what he did, simply called us back to him. Just let that sink in for a little bit. Our calling is simply listening and following God because he is saying, I want you to come back to my family. We were lost. We've been separated because of sin, because of the mess, and our calling is simply God saying, I want you back in my family. So it has nothing to do with the job that we're going to do. It has nothing to do with all these roles. Now, can it play a part of it? Absolutely. But we have to understand the foundation of a calling. And God's eyes is simply going, no, I've called you because I love you. You are my son, my daughter. I want you to come back to my family. That's, that's why we're here. Is God wants us to know him and to hear his calling and be able to walk this out with him. Look at Psalms. Here's what it says in this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. So I talked about passions, dreams, all those kind of things. God goes, even before we get there, walking down the passions and the dreams of understanding what you're going to do in life, recognize I made you. I know what makes you tick. I know the quirks about you. I know everything. And so hear me, if you're willing to call, Listen, hear my call and come back to me and follow me. I'll show you how your passions and dreams all match up. But too often, this is what I did in life. 
I would get so obsessed with my passions or God, what is it? What do you, what do you want in my life? What is it that you want me to do? And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you just okay knowing that I've called you and that you are my son and let me show you what that is? So I think t- too often we start bouncing around and going, okay, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know, I need to know God. And God's like, no, no, no. First, do you understand the relationship? Because you've got to know the relationship and understand the calling in our lives. Because the calling is all centered around us coming back to God's family. Then in Romans, it says this, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. That means when God first created you, he put gifts inside you, wired you a certain way, and also put this calling in your life. And it can never be withdrawn. When I I read that, I was like, man, I have, I've had times where I didn't believe that. I felt like my calling or my gifts could be thrown away because of my mistakes, because of my guilt because of the mess I had in my life. I didn't think I was worth the call anymore. I didn't think I could carry those gifts anymore. And so God, in his powerful way, says, no, 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 calling doesn't change. Your gifts don't change. That's how I made you. So then it kind of leads into this question. Why is this so hard to understand? Why do we struggle to accept this? I know I do. There's many moments in my life where I was like, God, I don't know if I'm good enough. There's times where I've struggled even to go to church because I'm like, man, I know I'm going to get judged because I have had a horrible weekend, Um, done some things I regret, those kind of things. And so God's going, no, no, no. Remember, your calling, who you are, are centered around the fact that I love you and I want you back in my family. So why is that difficult? Take a look at this scripture. The Bible, I think, helps us understand it. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. So that first part is what we've been talking about. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus, saying he's called you for the eternity to share in what he wants for us. Share in what he's called you to. There's a specific reason he has purpose for you. But then there's this part that I don't think any of us like. So after you suffered a little while, we're like, why? Why do we have to walk through that? Why is that part of it? I think this part right here is kind of, I would describe it as our time here on earth. The time that we're going to suffer through some things because the reason why our calling is so difficult to understand, I'll clarify it for you right now, is because Satan can't attack our calling. He can't attack our gifts. Because remember, God gave us those. They can't be withdrawn. So what does he attack? Our confidence. It's the one thing that he can get at to where he goes, if I can get their confidence, if I can get them to believe they're not good enough, that they can't do it, that if I can get them into a mess and then they think I'll never be able to get back, God will never want me again, then they'll never walk out their calling. 
See, Satan's pretty tricky with this. And so to help us, I think, understand this even better, look at it this way. God's role, call us. And he's done it. Every single one of us has been called. Our role is to have confidence in God's calling. To be able to say, no, God has called me. I believe that. And it's powerful to think about. Satan is going to try to attack this. Because it's the one part we have to bring in order to understand our calling. If God says, I've called you, come back to me. And we sit there and go, I don't know. I don't think I'm good enough. God's going to be like, no, you're my son, you're my daughter. You've got to believe this. You've got to hold on to this. You've got to walk with this in confidence. But Satan is going to try to tell you, you can't. And so I hope we will begin a conversation now of wrestling with confidence. Because now we've understand calling, because it's God's part in this. Now we've got to go, okay, where's my confidence at? Because confidence, here's the thing you need to know about confidence. Confidence needs context. Without the right context, it will be a mess. I, to give you an example of this, I've got a little video for you. Um, some of you, it will be very painful for you to watch, okay? You now are all like, what? This is scary. Um, here's what's going on. So it's a softball game, all right? There's a team up by two runs. They're up by two runs. It's the title game. They're about ready to win the championship. A play happens, and one team thinks they have won the championship. But watch what happens. Like if you're, I'll call them the black team, you're just like, no, 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 stop them. What are you doing right now? All because, here's why that happened. The ump actually called the play at second safe. Every, everybody on the team thought he said out. And so now they have this confidence that they've won the championship and everything is, everyone's throwing their gloves, everything's going great, and these teams are just scoring runs. And they scored three runs, lost the championship. Now, we can think about so many other plays that have happened, too. If you've watched football, the guy that's running to the end zone drops the ball before he gets into the end zone that moment. See, confidence is great. But if it's got the wrong context, you'll lose. You'll start to think, man, this is great, this is awesome, and then find out, no, it's not. And so I think we see this in sports, but let's play this out in our own lives. When it comes to the confidence conversation, man, you talk about success. I've seen so many people who have been able to have success in their life, whether it's through job, whether it's through just having things or whatever the case may be. However we want to define success, this person has had it. 
They experience it, but it's just a feeling. And in that moment, man, is it great. That confidence is so strong. But then it can be a season and it can go away. The job all of a sudden becomes kind of a rut. It's not as exciting as it used to be. The things that you had that you thought were so important now become just things. And so you can kind of see how this confidence can be just a feeling, especially in our culture. And we chase after it. We just want to be confident people. So we think success does that. Or maybe it's relationships. Maybe if I'm married, if I've got a family, then people will recognize me. But, you know, that can be good for a season. But then it happens to where the family goes through a rough patch. Marriage goes through a rough patch and your confidence begins to go. See, the confidence in that kind of context, if we put it in stuff that we can do, it's just a feeling and it goes up and down. The confidence I'm talking about today, it's powerful because it's not just a feeling, it's the fact that you can be confident and it doesn't change. There was a writer who wrote the book called Hebrews that's in the Bible who I believe helped all of us understand what I'm talking about right now. So just look at this passage. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, with confidence, enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. I mean, we, we talk about this every Easter. We talk about this all the time at church. It's the moment that Jesus changed everything. Died on the cross, rose from the grave, changes everything. And it's talking about it. The reason we're able to have confidence is because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. So Jesus did all of this. And none of us in here, Satan himself, cannot change it. Our confidence is built on what Jesus did, not what we do. But too often we flip that. Too often we try to make it about us, and God's going, no, 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 don't forget what my son did. That's what gives you confidence to have a relationship with me, and it helps you begin to understand your calling. I mean, you think about it, God's calling us and we were so far away from him. Our sin kept him from us. And so he says, I'm not okay with that. To make his calling even louder, he says, I'm sending my son so that you will know how much I love and care about you and how much I desire relationship with you so you can understand why I made you and why I put you here on earth. See, it's all in the context. Do you understand what Jesus has done? Do you believe that? Is that where your confidence is coming from? Now, I, I found this passage just enlightening because the writer at this time is writing to a church who is struggling with their confidence. They've gone through some big just seasons. It, I mean, you think about it. Church at this time, they had just started. It's a new church. They've gone, had some just miraculous moments. Everything is, has gone well, and now they're hitting this rough patch where you can kind of see the confidence beginning to fade. And so this writer goes, no, 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 don't forget where our confidence comes from. 
Yes, we're going to go through ebbs and flows of life, but we can always be confident. And so he kept going to help us understand, okay, I want to be confident. How do I walk this out? What do I do? Uh, pay, look at this next verse. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, I know this language, probably in the Bible, you're like, okay, Todd, I'm brand new to the Bible. I have no idea what's talking about. What, what do you mean high priest? What? Let me explain what the writer, because he was talking to a bunch of Jews. Here's why he's putting that language in here. So if you were to vote Old Testament, here's how you would have got your conscience cleared. Like for all of us, if you had done something wrong, let's say this week or three or four months ago, there were certain times during the year where you would come to church, to the tabernacle, as the Jews would understand it, and you brought a sacrifice. And so that meant you brought a perfect animal. No defect, no nothing. And you would give it to the priest. The priest would then kill the animal as a sacrifice paying for your sins. And so there would be this whole tradition where they would take care of the animal. Then the priest would walk into the Holy of Holies. He was the only one who could enter the presence of God. And he would, on behalf of all the sins that were outside, the people who would come, you'd say, God, please forgive them. And then hopefully walk out and make it. There were many times where the priest would just fall over dead because he was not cleansed. And so they would drag him out. So it was an intense ritual. If the priest made it out, then they would grab some of the lamb's blood and just sprinkle it on everybody. Be very glad we don't do that anymore. <laughs> right? It's an intense process. But that is how sacrifice, that was how the sins were taken care of. That's how you got your guilty conscience taken care of. Now, understand the process. It's got a problem with it. As soon as you leave, the next sin, now you've got to come back. It's this constant, all right, I've got to bring these sacrifices. And so God goes, Jesus, now our high priest, took care of all that with one final payment. There needs to be no more blood. There needs to be no more sacrifice because his sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, takes care of all of it. So that's what this is referring to. And that's when it says our guilty conscience can now be cleansed, not just in a moment, but for forever. Our guilty conscience can be cleansed forever. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes struggle to believe that and hold on to that. That this one time this, but that is what the scripture is saying. And I know why I struggle with it, and maybe you'll agree with me. I let my guilt, my shame, get in the way. When I've made mistakes... Or I've sinned, and, and let's say I, I remember accepting Christ at a very young age, but then those moments I sinned afterwards, I'd be like, oh, man, i got to get saved again. I screwed it up. I messed it up. Not owning what Jesus' blood, what Jesus' death had done for my life. And I constantly let this guilt be like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Remember those things I did last week? Don't think I'm going to cut it. And so here's the truth. This is what Satan tries to do. Our guilt hurts our confidence. 
We let our guilt and our shame pile up to where it starts to influence us in a way that says, no, you're not paid for anymore. Jesus' sacrifice, it didn't count. And so that's the part that you gotta be like, no, our guilt doesn't have to hurt our confidence. The only reason we allow that to happen is because we allow it. And so here's the part that we need to start walking out. A clear conscience equals a God conscience. Sorry, a clear conscience equals a God confidence to where we start walking this out in a powerful way to where we can enter God's presence. Because some of you, and even myself, I've had moments where I felt so guilty walking into church, so guilty trying to read my Bible, so guilty trying to pray, trying to do anything that would honor God. But God's saying, I've already paid the price for that. You don't have to keep this guilty conscience going on. You can have a clear conscience. Because Jesus paid it. So wrestle with this. Is your conscience clear? Have you told Jesus all the mistakes, all the sins? Because recognize he's paid for the past ones, the present ones, and the future ones. All you can do is say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And recognize that you can enter his presence. You can go to church. You can talk to him without feeling guilty because Jesus made that possible for you. So the writer keeps going, though. So I could stay in there for a while, but I hope you're beginning to understand the guilty conscience you don't have to carry anymore. But then Hebrews 10.24 says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Pointing out your community, who you hang out with, becomes very important. And so if we go back to this Wonder Life series, making sure you've got the right community around you, being able to wrestle with these questions is so vital. I kind of put it this way, a good community equals a God confidence. I know in my life I've seen this happen. I can tell you in my teenage years, I hung around the wrong group. And it wasn't their fault. It was my fault. I allowed that to happen. But here's what I learned during those years. Um, I made some decisions that I regret. I got into underage drinking. I learned a lot of things about life that I shouldn't have. Um, I was constantly, because this is just how they worked, constantly trying to get their approval. And then on top of that, it was the first time I got introduced to pornography. All those things happened in those years. And so my heart was beat up. It was full of guilt, full of shame, thinking, God, I don't know but all because some of that community, I was allowing them to influence me in the wrong way, but I thought those were my friends. But now that's changed to where I'm here and I've I've got an amazing church that I'm a part of, got an amazing wife, got an amazing family. Are the communities perfect? No, but they're good. I even love the small group that I'm a part of to where I'm able now, here's what I've learned. God loves me, he's forgiven me, He believes in me. And I know how to be trustworthy, be a man that I believe honors God. I'm walking these things out because the community is helping me with that. And so ask yourself, do you have the right community around yourself? 
Are you got the right people pointing you towards God? Pointing you towards the things that you need to learn. Because if you don't, your confidence can begin to fade very quickly. And so you've got a clear conscience. You've got a good community. Here's the last one. And let us not neglect our meeting together as, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that day of his return is drawing near. So that part, let us not neglect our meeting together talking about consistency, being intentional um, with our time and with what the things that we're doing. And so there's that consistency part. Part that probably all of us in here, we understand. Because any good athlete, any good professional, any, anything you're good at, there's got to be practice and there's got to be consistency. I remember seeing this in my own life where I was on the jazz band, um, yeah, go jazz band. Um, I was a trumpet player. And so I was really pumped um, for this opportunity because uh, I wanted to be on the A, I'll call it the A jazz band because we had two. There was A and the B jazz band. And um, part of getting to the A jazz band is you had to know how to do a solo. Um, and for those of you who know jazz band or know music, you'll understand this a little bit. But it's called improvising. And so you had to be able to, for those of you who don't know music, you're like, what does that mean? So they'll give you a bunch of these chords, and they're playing them throughout as you kind of saw the band doing. And so an improvised solo is you just being able to go off, being as creative as you want, but following within the parameters that the band is giving you with the chords that they're playing. And so it's not drawn out. It's not labeled out. It's just you go, make a solo. And I was like, man, this sounds so cool. So much creativity. It's so amazing within this. But I had no idea how to do it. Okay? And so I was like, all right, I want to learn how to do this. I want to make it happen. So I started practicing. Practicing wasn't cutting it. So I was like, okay, I've got to find somebody who can actually help me. So I found this teacher who was a great jazz player uh, throughout a group in Kansas City, Kansas City area. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be great. This will be awesome. Start a meeting with him. Guys, this is the most awkward conversations, awkward moments I've ever had with a teacher. There is one moment where <laughs> I'm playing, and he's like, I got to go. And I was like, where are you going? He's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I was like, okay. Because um, we did it, uh, practice at his house. And so he's like in the bathroom. He opens the door and says, keep playing. And I was like, are you serious right now? Yes, keep going. And so while I am playing, just picture this, he's screaming at me whenever I did something wrong or encouraging me while in the bathroom. Just one of those moments where I was like, this is not how I pictured this going, not at all. But I went through it, and eventually I was like, okay, through the practice, through the lessons, and it was lesson after lesson after lesson, through all the, the times with that teacher, Finally, the moment came, and they were doing this one song, and they are like, all right, we need a solo from the trumpet section. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And they're like, all right, Todd, here you go. And so I got it, started working on it, came time to play it. And it's not like every time you play it, it's different, because every time it, you can go a different creative process. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready. I've got it. And I get to the moment. And, guys, it was one of those moments, I don't know if you've experienced where it just went off so well. Confidence was through the roof. I remember some of the A group coming and be like, hey, nice solo. And I was like, yes, I'm going to be on the A team now. You know, those kind of moments. 
But I remember the whole reason I got there was because of my willingness to be consistent. Now, my problem afterwards is I had such a confidence issue that I was like, I don't need to practice anymore. And it didn't go so well from there. But anywho, you understand. But here's my, the whole point of this is the consistency part. Some of you in here maybe have a crisis of confidence. You've had a moment in your life that now is questioning everything. It's like, God, why am I here? What is going on? And you wish, you wish you had that Bible verse that could carry you through. You wish you had that prayer. You wish you had that wisdom that was going through. So here's the part we need to learn. We got to start practicing that now or before the crisis comes. We've got to be consistent in that. If you want to have the Bible verse to help you walk through that, you got to be reading the Bible. If you want the prayer that's going to carry you and connect you with God during those moments, you need to be praying. If you want the wisdom to know how to walk this out, you got to show up and hear the teachings that are going on. That's why the writer wrote out, do not neglect our meeting together. But in our culture, we struggle with this. Consistency now is, I'll be there, you know, once a month, once every three months. It's got to be more consistent than that. See, consistency, hear me this, consistency is equal to a God confidence. So I think you see the three C's now, a clear conscience, you got consistency, and on top of that, you've also got a good community. And so you see those three, you see what's going on, but then you've got to wrestle with, okay, that makes sense. I can do those three, I can work on them, but what do I do when a crisis happens? Because I think we've all walked through it where everything now comes into question. How do I handle this? What do I do? Everything that I've understood, whether it's that moment where someone passes away, you get the doctor's news, or you lose the job, and you're like, God, I thought everything was working out. Why is this falling apart? And the Hebrew writers give us some wisdom into that too. Look at this. Think back on those earlier days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. It's interesting advice because every leadership book that I've read has never said, hey, when you're going through a tough moment, make sure to look back. If anything, they say, no, push through and look forward. But this writer goes, nope, you need to look back. And so to help us understand why the writer wrote this, I want you to look at this uh, graph. So you've got gratitude gap here. You've got the growth gap over here. This is us. So we are in this moment right now where we are constantly wanting to get to this certain spot, and we are fighting to get there. Whatever the case may be, whether it's moving up in a job or trying to become a better spouse, better parent, whatever the growth step is, and we constantly focus on it, trying to get there, trying to get to a certain level. And we're going, God, why can we not make it? Why can I not arrive? Why can I not get to the spot that I want to get to? God, I feel like this is what you told me to do. Why can I not get there? And we go back and God tells us, look back. Because what he's doing is saying, remember where you came from. To where you go, Okay, I used to be here. You've carried me all the way to there. God, I think you've got this next step too. We get so anxiety, worried, whatever the case may be, and think God has abandoned us, but God's going, no, no, no. 
Be thankful for where I've taken you. Don't forget that, because I'm not done. I just need you to trust me during this growth season. I know for me right now, as I've been wrestling through a lot of things, because I've had roles change now in my time here at Fountain Springs. I've moved from doing students to being a location pastor, and now there's more things being put on my plate, and I'm like, oh, okay, God, this is awesome. I, I love this. Like, this is what we've talked about when you gave me this calling of ministry. You never gave it specific, but you're just like, I want you to be a pastor. And so now I'm getting able to walk this out. But I remember being so much right there and struggling, going, God, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to make this? Can I, can I cut it uh, as this role now? It, and being so, and my wife, let me tell you, she put up with so many crazy conversations because I'm an out loud processor. And so I just kind of verbalize everything, and she goes, are you okay? Like, are you doing all right? And I'm like, yes, I just need to talk about it. Is, am I normal? She's like, no, but you'll be okay. Um, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. And so, but God in these moments, because my wife just looks at me and is like, ah, I, don't, I really don't know how to help you with this. But I believe you can do it. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if I can do it, though. And God then would step in and go, no, okay, Todd, let's think back. Remember when you first were in high school and you first heard this idea about being in ministry, how freaked out you were, how you believed you couldn't do it. And then in college, you tried to run away from it. But then you took that class and you did it, and then you actually got started in ministry the first two years in student ministry, you thought, oh, God, I don't, I don't know if I'm leading these students well. I don't know if I'm doing But then you did it for the next six, seven years. God's going, do you remember how long of a journey we've been on? Todd, I've got you in this next phase. I got you in this next growth area. Don't be so consumed about the job description. Be consumed about where I'm taking you and the fact that I've got you and so here's what I know. Confidence requires a memory to where you can think back and go, no, God has carried me so much through everything. He's got me in this. Because you know the only one that's telling you he doesn't is either yourself or Satan. Because God's going, I've got you. Remember this. Hold on to those memories. That's why I tell everybody who goes through our baptism class, I'm going, hey, write down that moment you got saved and write down this moment when you get baptized. Remember how much God has carried you through things and he's gonna carry you the rest of your life. So then that way, when those moments come and you're going, God, do you got me? You look back to those moments and go, no, he saved me. He changed my life forever. He's got this. The Hebrews writer sums it up so well at the end. Listen to this. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patience, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he has promised. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you, highlight this, underline it. Help you remember, don't throw away this confidence, this trust in the Lord. And there will be moments where we're gonna need to remember 
Remember the great reward. Remember how far he's carried us in this calling of taking him back home with us. And then there will be times we're going to have to endure, learning that we've got a clear conscience, learning we need a good community, remembering to be consistent. You see all this playing out in this scripture right here. And so the question becomes is, are you willing to walk it out? To know that God has got you, he has called you, do you have that confidence? I wanna wrap up with some questions. So here's the first one. Where is your God confidence? How are you doing with it? Has it been depleted due to life circumstances, due to whatever the case may be, or is it at a good spot? And some of you may need to ask yourself, okay, do I have a clear conscience? Or do I need to go pray and tell God, I'm sorry, I have not kept that and not been bold in that. And so God, help me to walk that out. Or some of you, you may go, I need to change my friends. Starting today, I need to get the right community around me and you've got the opportunity to do that by maybe joining a group. The last part of this is some of you may need to go, I need to start being more consistent in my time with God and showing up to church because I need that teaching. I need that prayer time. I need to learn who he is. So where is this God confidence in your life? But for some of you, I understand that may be a tough conversation because you're like, I don't even know if I have it. So here's the second question. Are you responding to God's calling? Do you believe that God loves you and is pursuing you so much that he is calling you, come back to my family? Because that is where you'll know why you're here. And so for some of you, you may need to start right there. Go, God, help me to believe that. Help me to own that so that I can learn to have that confidence and, and I can learn to get rid of the insecurities I have, learn to get rid of depending so much on myself and say, God, you've got me. I need your calling in my life. And for some of you, you may have walked so far away from God. You used to be following that calling. You used to be listening. But now you're going, I need to get back. I need him to be in my life. My hope, church, is that we begin to be a church that walks this out in a powerful way to where we understand who we are and why we're here. And it's all centered around God's love for us. It's amazing to me that he made it so simple because too often we make God's calling so small, but it's so big to the fact that he just says, are you willing to understand that my calling in your life is simply to bring you back home? The roles that you're in right now, those ones I gave you because I believe you can impact the people around you but that only happens through our relationship, through my calling in your life. So let's begin to walk that out. Let's learn to have this confidence that I believe will change our life. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for being a God that cares and loves us. The fact that you've called us. And may we walk out today just simply saying that, God, I am called by you. And that means that we are called back to your family, that you want us back 
with you because you love us and care about us that much. Our responsibility in this is believing we have this confidence that we can carry boldly. And God, let us not fall into Satan's traps. Let us not fall into our own insecurities. May we learn to have this confidence that will lead us, not through everything. And it's not just a feeling, Lord. It's the fact that we can be confident because of what your son did. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And God, we ask this all in your son's name, Jesus Christ.